appreciate each and every one of you being here tonight. And we're studying out of the book of Mark. We're looking tonight in chapter number three of the book of Mark. And some of you will say, praise God, we're in chapter three. It's only take us, what, 17 weeks to get here. I don't know how long it is. All right, so if you have your Bibles, the book of Mark, chapter number three, is on our heart tonight. And I want to look at the first six verses of this chapter. I love the book of Mark. The Lord has helped me as we've studied this precious book. Mark chapter number three, verses one through six. And I want to preach on this thought tonight from this passage, uh, playing church. Um, I've read this passage many times. I've preached from it out of the book of Matthew. I've preached from a parallel passage out of the book of Luke. And every time I've preached from this passage, I've always focused primarily on the healing of the man with the withered hand. Something obviously happened in the life of this man to cause his right arm to become withered. He was not born this way. The verb in the Greek text would tell us it's something that happened to him after his birth. It is a good picture of a Christian that when you were born again, God made you a brand new creature. You had no faults, no handicaps, no defects. But sometimes we, along the way, will run into a storm or a hardship. We'll have a hard landing. And when we do, we get ourselves in trouble every single time. And when we do that, when we fall, there may be something, a disconnect from the head. There may be a problem. There may be a trouble in our life if we're not careful. This man with the withered hand represents someone who's hurt their hand and they're not useful. I didn't say not as useful. They're no longer useful in the kingdom the way they once were. And if any of you would help me tonight to preach there have been times in our lives that we have backslid on God, fell on our face, landed, and hurt our fellowship with God, and hurt our fellowship one with another. Don't shake hands, don't give from their pocketbooks, can't praise the Lord anymore, can't carry the sword. You know why? Because we've been hurt along life's way. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the synagogue where this man is, and recognizes his needs, and he's going to bring healing in this man's life if this man is willing to step out on faith and the Lord puts in a brand new blood supply. The only way that this is possible is a new blood supply from the Lord Jesus Christ and restored his hand to be as useful as the other was, and now he's back to a place of service. Every time I've ever looked at this parallel passage in Mark, Matthew, or Luke, I've always gone that angle until this week as I studied. And God wants me to look at this miracle being overshadowed by the Pharisees playing church. Jesus is aware of the hatred of the Pharisees, yet he remains steadfast in the work of God no matter what the Pharisees did. Let's look at it. Mark 3 verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. 
and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Father, would you help us tonight to rightly divide the word of truth? Lord, would you take this passage and open our eyes and help us to examine ourselves if we are that man with the withered hand and something has happened in their life to cause us to become hurt, crippled, paralyzed spiritually, to not be useful the way we once were. Our prayer life is no longer successful like it once was. God, tonight, if we see ourselves as that man, tonight you're giving an invitation. Tonight you're saying, by faith, stretch forth your right hand. I will restore fellowship. I will restore service. I will restore and bless you tonight. Thank God for it. And then, Lord, let us see that if we are the Pharisee, and all of us have some Pharisee in us, that, God, we would examine ourselves and help us, Lord, to get past who we are and to become who you want us to be. And, Lord, we're asking your help tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. All right, so tonight, number one, when we look at this text, I want us to see, number one, the dilemma. The dilemma. I want to say a couple of things about the dilemma that's presented here. First of all, Jesus has an intention. Do you remember as we studied in Mark chapter 2 at the end of the chapter that on the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling through a field. His disciples were hungry. They took some of the corn. They busted it open. They began to eat it. And the Pharisees said, Aha! Why do your disciples do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath day. And there was a whole dissertation there that the Lord said, listen, uh, that I'm not rebuking them. I, I'm not telling them they're wrong. I'm not leading them into sin. This is, this is your rabbinical law, which is a bunch of man-made tradition and rules that was never in the word of God, and he began to rebuke them for it. Now we fast forward to another Sabbath, maybe the very next one. And the Bible says that Jesus entered the word again, leaps off the page at me. He entered again. We're seeing the pattern of his life. Every Sabbath day, he is in the synagogue. What is his intention? Why does he go? He goes to teach the word of God. They would take the, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, pick a passage and teach from it. He would take the the prophets pick a passage and teach from it. He would pick the Psalms, the Proverbs, pick a passage and teach from it. And to hear Jesus teach, what a blessing. And he is there in the synagogue every Sabbath day teaching the word of God and trying to give life to those that are dead, trying to give light to those that are in darkness, trying to confront 
those that are living in dead religion in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And he's trying to do it every Sabbath day. Remember one time when he preached? A man jumped up, the demon inside of him began to scream out and tried to hinder Jesus from his preaching because Jesus was exposing truth. Jesus' intent is to teach the word of God. That's why we gather tonight. We're here to pray. Oh, yes, it's prayer meeting. But we're also here to teach the word of God. He also has an intention to reach. He's wanting to reach someone that's dead in trespass and sin. He's wanting to reach someone that's discouraged. He wants to reach someone that's suffering or in sorrow. And he wants to help them to overcome and to get sweet relief. He's trying to reach the lost and the hurting. That is his intention. What is the incident? The Bible says in that congregation, many people, the Bible says that there was a man there which had a withered hand. Something has happened in his life uh, that has caused him no longer to be useful in the work of God. And the Bible says in verse 2 that the Pharisees watched Jesus, whether he would heal this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. See, they're just waiting. They're already upset about the incident the previous week about the disciples reaping that grain and eating it. And though Jesus taught them correctly, they still didn't receive it well. And now they're just waiting with bitter appeal for Jesus to heal this man. That tells me that the Pharisees knew in their congregation there was a man who was suffering. They knew in their congregation there was a man who was in bad shape and need of healing. And they didn't care anything about the man getting healed. They wanted to accuse, the Bible says they wanted to accuse Jesus Christ. Their intent is to catch Jesus breaking rabbinical law. Again, the Talmud, we talked about it. The Talmud is a book uh, that the Pharisees, the elders, the scribes, they came up with of religious rules and laws that added to the word of God. Uh, in the Talmud, there are 39 points about how you should properly observe the Sabbath and each one, I promise you, each one of the 39 points have 39 subpoints. And last week I, pre I threatened preaching each one of them, which is 1,521 laws or 1,521 ways, rules, that you need to observe the Sabbath. For instance, you can't kill a flea that's biting you because that's labor. You can't move a chair, that's plowing. It might put furrows on the rug or in the dirt. You can't wear a coat because you might take it off and carry it, which is bearing a load. Although you can put it on your back, that's just fine. You can't take a bath. If water drips on the floor, you might dry it, which is considered work. You can't look in a mirror or a looking glass because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out, which is considered harvesting. You can't throw something. You can't catch something. Uh, that's considered work. You can't blow out a candle. That's considered work as well. You see, these Pharisees could, they could not care less about the man with the withered hand. They cared about rabbinical law. And they're watching Jesus so as to accuse him. They're just there to find fault. And I promise you, there are people that come to hear me preach and come around it where you worship that are just here to try to spot a fault or a criticism 
to say, I told you that church will never make it. I, I don't like the songs. I don't like the message. I told you they're just there to try to fault find somebody else who you see so-and-so. I mean, I remember a man one time, his wife said, did you see sister so-and-so? No. Did you see who she was sitting with? No. Did you see so-and-so how they were dressed? No. Did, did you pay attention to such and such? No. She said, I don't even know why you go to church. You don't get anything out of it. That's what some people do. They just go to church to look at people. The Pharisees were there to observe law. They're blinded to the issues of life that are important to God. They strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. No. They strain at a gnat and swallow a continent. They should have been watching Jesus to become a disciple. They should have been watching Jesus to be mentored by Jesus. They should have been watching Jesus to learn some godliness and some true righteousness in their lives. They're watching him closely, not to learn anything godly about him, but to fault find. That is the dilemma that we see. Number two, we see the determination of Jesus. Jesus knowing what's in their minds, what's in their hearts. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows our motives, but Jesus is committed to fulfill the Father's plan. So in verse 3, Jesus saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Jesus said, stand forth. In the middle of this pressure, in the middle of this dilemma, in the middle of their demands, he recognizes the man knowing that they're watching him and says to the man, stand forth. So everybody can see him. Even the Pharisees stand forth actually means it's an invitation word. It's really an imperative that means stand forth, come to the center, come forth, come to where I am. And Jesus has love and compassion. He sees a man who's hurting. He sees a man who's suffering and he wants to heal him. Jesus, may I say this tonight, Jesus knows every need you have. He knows every problem, he knows every worry, he knows every burden, and he's able to address them no matter how big, no matter how small, Jesus knows all about it. We see his compassion. He says to the man with the withered hand, stand forth. Look at verse 4, we see concern. He saith unto them, now immediately he looks at those, these boys and he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? Right? Should, is, it, is it okay to do good? Or is it okay to do evil? Is it lawful to save a life? Or is it lawful to kill? Now, notice that he's just had the man stand forth. He's not healed him yet. And before he addresses the needs, listen to this. Before he addresses the needs of that man who's hurting and is suffering, he's first going to deal with the Pharisees. He's first going to deal with dead religion. He's first going to deal and confront with their hard hearts. Now, Jesus confronts their hypocrisy and their lack of concern for this man. Well, preacher Darren, didn't Jesus know it was a Sabbath? Didn't Jesus know he was, they were watching him? Couldn't Jesus have kind of worked it out where everybody's going to be at peace? You can't negotiate with a schemer. You can't negotiate with the devil. He's the one. It's his antics that's behind all this. Forget negotiation, amen. Jesus is Jesus. He's going to do that which is right, not that which is half right to try to get along 
with the devil. Amen. He knows that the Sabbath is there to be a blessing. The Sabbath is there to help man, not to hurt man or to harm man. I want to read a little further out of Matthew's gospel, parallel passage, chapter 12. Turn there with me, Matthew chapter 12. I want to read in verse number 11 a little bit more that Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said to these Pharisees uh, that are upset with Jesus because he's getting ready to heal this man. He's already asked them, is it lawful to do good or evil? Is it, is it lawful to save life or to, to, to kill? Matthew 12, 11, he said to them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall in a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? In other words, you, you guys are, 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 all of you have sheep. If your sheep on the Sabbath day fell in a pit, would you not take off your robe that you wouldn't normally take off and jump down that pit and lift that sheep out of it, which is considered lifting a burden, it's considered work, and then put your coat back on? Would you not save your sheep? Would you not spare your sheep? And the truth of the matter is, yes, they would, right? They, they said, well, all things are lawful. If you have a sheep in the ditch on the Sabbath day, it's okay to deal with that. Verse 12, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Whether, wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Jesus just said, you know what? I'm the good shepherd, <laughs> and this man is my sheep, <laughs> and he's in the ditch on the Sabbath day, amen? And it is lawful to do good. It is lawful to address and to take care of needs on the Sabbath day. Boy, I tell you, he, he confronted them for sure. Look with me back to Mark's gospel. Look with me now. We're talking about Jesus' determination. He's going to help these, this man, whether the Pharisees like it or not. He's asked them a question. Is it lawful to do good or evil? He's asked them a question, verse 4, to save life or to kill. Look at their answer. But they held their peace. No answer. In fact, the silence was louder than words. The silence was deafening. They had nothing to say. And it's best thing they could do is not answer that question because their lack of concern is well noted. Look with me in verse number five. Look at the condemnation. And when he had looked round about on them. In other words, he's waiting for an answer, right? Job one time started asking questions and the Lord met him and asked questions back. The Lord looked on these Pharisees waiting for their answer. He looked on them. My Bible says, does yours say it with anger? I've got that highlighted in my Bible. Jesus got angry. <gasps> Preacher Darren, I thought Jesus was sinless. Oh yeah, he is. Being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Oh, Preacher Darren, it's, it's a sin to get angry. Well, I would remind you, the Bible says, whosoever, whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus has righteous indignation for what these boys have been doing because they are playing church and he's very upset. When he looks round about, can you imagine when Jesus looks round about at them looking right in their eyeballs, looking right in their heart, looking right in their mind, looking right in their soul, he took inventory of them, of their heart, of their attitude. You know what he saw? Hypocrisy. He saw pride. He saw arrogance. 
He saw self-righteousness. He saw the inventory of every soul that day. He looked into them and he looked up and down and all the way through them. There was no hiding. And Jesus disapproved of their disposition concerning this man. And he took exception to their discontent. It is amazing that, that Mark's a little different. I love the book of Mark and I'm falling in love with it even more the more I've looked through it here. Mark explicitly points out that Jesus looked on them with anger. Preacher Darren, I just don't think that Jesus ever got angry. Well, let's hold your Bible here. Look at the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. You know, Jesus in John chapter 2, that was the first miracle that he did. The Bible says that he turned the, the water into wine and it was the beginning of miracles. This is Jesus' coming out time, the beginning of his public ministry. It's the first thing he's done. And let's look at the next thing in verse number 12, John chapter 2. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, do you see what he just did? Do you see what my Savior just did? He saw those money changers and those that were selling doves and, well, Preacher Darren, they had to do those things. Listen, they're cheating people. They're, 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 they're not just here to try to be a blessing. They're cheating people. It is scandalous what they're doing in the house of God. He is upset. He made a scourge, the Bible says, and he drove them all out of the temple. That's what my Bible says. And the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money he dumped out their money and he overthrew their tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He was passionate. And to be angry with a cause is a, what can I say? It's a passionate anger. And he, with, can you imagine tonight coming to church and what if I got a scourge and said, you bunch of heathens, what are y'all doing? And started chasing y'all and with us, y'all would have never come back. Y'all would have probably had a meeting behind my back, had me fired as pastor. We're going to fire Jesus as Savior because he got a scourge and started whipping at people and flipped over the tables and poured out the money. I've never seen such a mess you know what? They're playing church. And he tore their playhouse down. A lot of us, what we do is we are playing church. And God is not happy with us sitting around here as a pastor and as deacons and Sunday school teachers, as Christians and servants of the Most High God playing church. God's not happy with that mess. Now, preacher dear, well, that's the only other time Oh, I got a bunch of these. I also want to look at two more. Matthew chapter 12. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 12. Let's read again. Matthew chapter 12. I could, I could get tied up here the whole time, but I just want to see you. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 34. Jesus is preaching. He's preaching to the Pharisees. And, and look what he says in Matthew 12, 34. He says, Oh, generation of vipers. He didn't say it pleasantly. 
He didn't say, oh, you generation of vipers. Bless your pee-picking hearts. That's not what he said. He's a man, the son of God. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? You see what he just said to them? They're playing church. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Very clear. Let's turn again. Matthew 23, I'll look at one more. I've got a whole list. Matthew 23, verse 27. Please turn there. Look at it on the screen. It's very important that Jesus was angry. But Jesus, let me me very clearly say this. He is angry without sin. He drove those money changers out, flipped over their tables without sin. Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Did you see that? Now, and I looked all through my Bible. I looked, and I found numerous places where Jesus was upset, rightfully so, without sin. But listen to this. Listen carefully. In the Scriptures, while he's on earth, he never one time was angry with sinners such as publicans, tax collectors, harlots. He was never angry at them. He loved them. You know what? Listen to this. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. But to the self-righteous, hypocritical, church-playing Pharisees, he was often grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Religion was at the theme of this, and that has Jesus concerned. Why, preacher dear? Because if you have Phariseeism and legalism, well, it ought to be done this way. It's not in the Bible, but you just think it ought to be done that way. And you, and you try to point that out to people and you try to make them go your way, you are causing them to stumble. And when you cause other people to stumble who are innocent, God, Jesus, is very angry. And it grieves him because of the hardness of your heart that not only are you a child of hell, you want to make someone else to be a twofold child of hell. And you're directing them that way. And God is very upset. It made his blood boil with their religious hypocrisy. He was angry as those who corrupted the gospel message, those who make up their own religious rules. He was angry with those who contaminated the house of the living God and it provoked the fury of our Savior. He was angry with those who knew the truth but turned aside from the truth to play church with their hard hearts. He was angry with those who played church and defamed God's glory and made a mockery of spiritual things. Aha, I thought about it. Jesus is God in human form. I didn't get an amen in the house. Y'all must be asleep. So for you guys that's online, holler amen real loud. Jesus is God in human form. And I promise you that my God is a God of love, but my God is a God of wrath. 
And when Jesus was on earth being pure man but pure God, he is going to have times to show the wrath of God. Preacher, I don't think God has wrath. Let me show you who the God of glory really is. In John chapter 3, our most favorite verse, verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God. What is that, preacher dear? Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. God has shown it to them through creation. God has shown it to them through your very conscience. We know there is a God. In chapter 5 of Romans, verse number 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he took my sins there and he endured the wrath of God and gave his life that I might be saved. The wrath of God was poured out on him. I'm telling you, God is a God of love, but God is a God of wrath. May I turn one more in 1 Thessalonians. We studied 1 Thessalonians in depth some months back. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. What a, you could preach a whole message or four right here. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Praise God. We've been delivered from the wrath which is to come. My God is a God of love and my God is a God of wrath. And Jesus as God's son is Jesus a compassionate savior. He loves sinners but Jesus has wrath against hypocrisy and people playing religion. Honey, it has never been my intent to come into this church and play religion with anybody. I'm not here to play Monopoly. This is not Tiddlywinks. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. My job is to preach the pure, unadulterated, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. That is my job. And tonight, whether it pleases you or not, I am not here to play church with you. I'm here to preach the word of God and lift up a standard when the enemy comes in like a flood. Amen. Our Lord, go back to our text, Mark 3. Our Lord is troubled at the self-righteousness and the ridiculous attitude of the Pharisees. And tonight he knows my thoughts, the intents of my heart. He knows my motives. There's nothing hid from him. I'm telling you this afternoon, me and the Lord had church in my office. I just got down in my chair, got down underneath my desk, just folded up on the floor, said, oh God, I'm a wicked sinner, Pharisee, 
critical. Oh God, forgive me, Lord. I do not want to be guilty of intentionally grieving the heart of Jesus because I have a hard heart. Lord God. Now our text speaks in chapter, chapter 3, verse 5. He looked on them with anger. Being grieved of the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, look, that their hardness of heart, their unbelief, their religious hypocrisy, it did not stop the work of Christ. There's a man there that's hurting. There's a man there with a great need. There's a man there that's lost his usefulness who wants to get back into service again but the Pharisees are against him and all religion stands opposed to him. But Jesus said, stand forth. Then he says, stretch forth thine hand. It was his right hand, Luke says, the gospel writer there, the great beloved physician. It was his right hand, which is your spiritual side. It was his right hand. with When he said, stretch forth your hand, he didn't put out the left. By faith, he knew what was hurt. He knew what was wrong. He knew what was in trouble and by faith. He put out that which was no longer useful and the Lord restored it. Thanks be unto God. Praise his holy name. My Bible says, and he, and the word is and, it means immediately he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. The Lord invisibly, immediately, intentionally, he went inside this man and gave him a new blood supply. Oh, hallelujah. I'd like to quit preaching right there on a the high because God's healed the man. But I got one more point, number three. I want you to see the disdain. Are these Pharisees going to recant? Are these Pharisees going to repent? Are these Pharisees going to say, I'm so sorry? Some of you are waiting on an apology from a Pharisee and you're never, ever going to get it and you'll never have victory if you're waiting on a Pharisee with a hard heart to apologize to you. Move on and trust Jesus. The Bible says in verse 6, and the Pharisees went forth. Notice with me their humiliation. They lost again. Jesus won. The man with the withered hand, he's raised his hand praising God, and the Pharisees went forth. They're humiliated. They're embarrassed. They're not shouting praises because this man was healed. They're upset. Notice with me, and all these start with an H. Not only are they humiliated, look at their haste. The Bible says that they straightway, they went forth and straightway, hastily, they wasted no time in forming a plan to oppose Jesus. They left the synagogue that day on a mission. I've had people that left the church on a mission to immediately do what they could to try to trip up and defeat this church. They were filled with resentment. These men are filled with fury. They are fuming in opposition, trying to hinder what God is trying to do in his church. And the Bible says that they straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him. Now, I've already told you their, 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 their hypocrisy. There's another H word. Now, I want you to think for a second. The Pharisees, now just, I need an amen right here if you agree. I'm just reasoning. The Pharisees, when Jesus called Levi, the tax collector, and asked him to follow me, be my disciple, Levi, follow the Lord, through a banquet for the Lord, invited all his sinner friends. Jesus ate and drank with them. No telling how many of that multitude got saved. The Pharisees stood outside and would not go in because they hated 
the tax collector. Why? Because he was a Roman sympathizer. He would take the Jewish money and extort from them his own profit and then take some of that money and pay their taxes back to Rome. And they hated him because they hated tax collectors and publicans because they were Roman sympathizers. They hated them. Who did the Pharisees go to? The Bible says they went to the Herodians. I, I hate to say it like this, but I'm going to. Those are strange bedfellows. The Herodians are Roman sympathizers. They're trying to lead the Jews to say, if we would not oppose the Romans, the Romans would be nice to us. Let's play politics. Let me say to you tonight, Jesus does not ride a donkey. Amen? And Jesus does not ride an elephant. Jesus is neither Republican and neither is Jesus a Democrat. And bless God, he's not an independent either, amen? He is unique. He is alone. The best thing, I'll tell you who you ought to vote for. I'm going to tell you right now. If you're listening online, I'm going to get Facebook jail. I'm going to tell you who you need. You need to elect Jesus, your personal Savior and Lord. Be the best election decision you've ever made in your entire Lord, in your entire world, amen? May I say the Pharisees are conservatives, traditionalists, fundamentals against Rome. But the Rhodians are for Rome and their sympathizers. It is an unholy alliance. It is a strange coalition. They are agreeing to work with a group they are fundamentally against. Isn't it amazing how two people on opposite sides, if they get against the same thing, they'll come together. Amen. They've come together in their opposition of Jesus Christ. I told you they're hypocrites. They're against a tax collector, but they're for the Herodians. You'll never explain that to me. Notice with me their hatred. The Bible says they took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They're not looking to hinder him. They're not looking to slow him down. Their, their intention is to destroy him. Their intention is to kill him. Sin has strange alliances. So then I'm going to say this. If you're here and if you're struggling because you have a hurt and you're no longer useful, you need to ask Jesus, Lord, would you forgive me and would you make me useful? My prayer life, my service to you, my worship, my Bible reading, my time with you, let me be useful like I once was. Maybe there's some resistance to you. I get it. I, I, I've got it. Maybe there's some resistance to you. And the Lord wants you to know that no matter the resistance, the Lord had courage to continue on. And if you have resistance, maybe you're listening to me, Sunday school teacher or pastor, if you feel resistance, it's not the Lord resisting you. It's the devil and it's the world trying to slow you down. And I want to encourage you, I'm praying for you tonight, to have courage and to move forward and stop, listen, stop playing church. Jesus will provide for every need that we face. I will tell this illustration and I'm done. I know it's not a popular message. Stop playing church. Well, preacher Darren, who said we were? When I was a little boy, we played church. When I was 11, 12 years old, we played church and we actually had somebody really get saved while we were playing church. So while we're playing church, people are really being saved here, amen. And one time it snowed here about, I don't know, half a foot or so and for some strange reason we went ahead and had church and and got here and had a man that drove all the way from Euladine come down here and said, I need to be saved. 
and he got saved. Earlier that day, Luke said, Dad, where's all the people? We're used to running hundreds of people. Dad, where's all the people? We had like eight and then 10 and then 14 and 15. Dad, he said, oh, he said, oh, I get it today is practice church, right? We, we just play in church. We just practice church. All right, so there's a man, and he taught Sunday school he taught the young married class, and, and the young married class was about people that were 18 to 30 years old that just got married, and, and the young married class was then turned into the married, the married class, still called it young married, but it had been there married 10 years, now been married 20 years, and been married 30 years, started having grandchildren, and it's still the young married class, and it used to be the biggest class. It had the biggest classroom. But over the years now, the people are 60 and 70 years old and they're starting to get sick and feeble and can't come like they once did. But it's still the biggest classroom there. And the numbers are no longer big like they once were. But they still held the title of young married class. And so they had to start other young married classes. But call it something else to save this person's face because they were very upset if you tried to claim their name. That was their name. They were the young married class. You better not say anything about the young married class because that's his class. But finally, they were running out of space and they needed to add on. And so they said, if we simply could just trade rooms, the, the, the smallest room is now the fullest room because we have the real young, young, young married class uh, that's that developed here after you know, 40 or 50 years. And if we could just change rooms, they had a Sunday school meeting and the pastor said, well, let's do it. I mean, it's just, it's just a, we only meet one time a week. Let's just, who cares what room it's in? As long as we're teaching Jesus, who cares what room it is? And everybody was excited except one man. And he was mad. They had moved his room to another room. And when it was over, he cussed the pastor out. And some of the people that were in the parking lot heard him cussing the pastor out. He came home, told his wife, said, well, he's trying to get me to quit church, but I ain't quitting. I'm the teacher. Well, I've got a better congregation than he has in the worship service. Uh-oh. Got a problem. He got so upset he had a massive heart attack. He called the preachers that don't even come. You caused their daddy to have a heart attack. Their daddy died, got so upset he died. Now can you imagine when he got home to heaven? Because he's a saved man. When Jesus says, welcome home, could he say, well done? He might say, what's the last thing you said to my God-called, God-sent preacher? I cussed him out like good. That's the way you're going to walk into glory. I dare say that every reward you ever had, you lost every single one of them and fumbled them on your way in through the gates of glory. It's not about which room is your Sunday school room. It's not about the color of the carpet. It's not about the condition of the pew. It's not about those things. Well, I think it's about what type of clothes you It's not about dresses or britches. It's not about makeup or not makeup. It's not about haircuts. Or, let me tell you, honey, it's about Jesus. That's what it's about. And anything else is playing church. With, with Well, that's what I'm just telling you. That's, that's the way I was raised. I can't help why you was raised. I can't do nothing about that. I can just tell you that's what the Bible says. Church, the worst thing you'll ever do is speak against somebody and cause them to stumble. Amen. Especially someone who is weak. Some, you, you have all, you've been in church for years. You've got all kinds of edge. You got, listen, if you take someone who's not as strong as you and you trip them and cause them to stumble, 
And I'm telling you, God will tear your playhouse down and the rest of the world around it. Will you hear me? The preacher called the family and said, they said, you ain't preaching this funeral. You been in that church all the You ain't preaching this funeral. Don't come around us. The whole family got mad. The, the two boys, the daughter, every one of them mad at the preacher. And all he did was say, let's move to the Sunday school room. Wasn't even his idea. He just said that's probably the best thing we could do. Back to superintendent. And it caused the whole rigmarole in the church. He ended up having to leave the church and resign. And the work of God was hindered there for like, listen, 10 to 15 years, not another person got saved. Not in Bible school, not in anything. Nobody getting saved there. God just, just I believe, God can just write Ichabod. Go through the motions. If you, want play, if you want to play church, go ahead and try. Go ahead and do your little songs up here. And, and go ahead and try your little preaching and a poem. But without him, it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. And I'm telling you, I do not want to be playing church with God. And I'm not here to play church with you. I'm not here to play preacher. I'm not here to pretend. I'm not here to entertain you. And I'm surely not here to police you. My job is to love you and to pray for you and to share with you the word of God. And I'm begging you tonight, love each other like you've never loved each other and don't play church. You stand to your feet tonight. Father, we love you. And God, please forgive us, God, if we've ever, Lord, if we've ever played church and church entity and religion, God, it's full of dead men's bones. God, move us away from it. God, if we've ever done it, forgive us of it, God. Lord, if we've misrepresented, if we've missaid, God, I know we're sinners. And I know it's, but we pro, Lord, please forgive us. God, both I and my Father's house, we have sinned against you. God, would you restore? God, would you revive? God, would you take the man with the withered hand and restore him? And take we Pharisees and help us, God, to repent and break ranks with the world and with religion and with how we think it ought to be. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says.